Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110-1800-WBT-1110. Happy Friday. You can email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. You can also hit me up on the Twitter machine. It's where I do my uh, most of my writing work. Most of my talking work is done here. So uh, the North State Journal report by A.P. Dillon. Headline, Cooper says schools, local governments should end mask mandates. Jumping right out in front of that parade so as to give the impression he is leading this effort. Governor Cooper cited his administration's success in handling the Omicron variant of COVID-19 and said that schools and local governments should end their mask mandates at the media briefing that he held yesterday at uh, 3 o'clock. While encouraging the entities to do so, he stopped short of issuing an order on the matter. Instead, he continued to defer to the locals on enforcement, which I'm old enough to remember when the Republicans said this should be a local control issue, and the governor said no. He implemented the emergency declaration, or the ED, as I like to call it. Uh, Cooper's ED got issued. That was 710 days ago. We have been under a state of emergency, under this declaration, for 710 days now, or maybe it's 711. It might be 711 now. Now 710. So that's how long this thing has been going on. 60 school districts out of 115 in the state have gone mask optional. A proposed set of changes have been offered up to the Strong Schools NC Toolkit, which is what everybody relies on. and how they stealth edit things at the state level where they, they swap out rules and such. So you always got to be watching that thing because when that thing changes, that's what the school districts use. Okay. And then they refer back to that and you're like, wait a minute, when did that change? And sometimes they make changes and the governor hasn't even announced there was a change. So you always got to keep up with the NC or sorry, the strong schools NC toolkit. Effective date, March 7th for these new rules. No clear reason given for the choice of that date beyond continued attempts to push for citizens and kids to get vaccinated. The proposed upcoming updates to the toolkit for K-12 students include promoting vaccines and boosters, continuing COVID testing in schools, and, quote, considering moving to voluntary masking at the discretion of local authorities as universal masking is less import- is a less important tool in lower-risk settings like schools. It's a less important tool. That's what they're now calling it. So it's, it's, it's no longer vital. It's a less important tool. Do you think it has anything to do with Joe Biden's State of the Union speech coming up? Chuck Schumer was quoted yesterday as saying that Biden will be talking about at the State of the Union, uh, he'll, there will be a call for a, a sort of return to normal. Do you think that, I said this yesterday, after the county commissioners moved on their uh, rescinding the mask mandate, the rollback of their mandate, despite the fact that the the, uh, percent positivity rate has not hit the target that they said was the metric, they're now saying that we have to change that metric, which, by the way, I support changing that metric as the target that we rely upon. It was stupid to do it in the first place. You should never have based all of this on that one metric. And now that they're doing what I was saying they should do, not that they're listening to me, I'm not trying to sound like that, but 
I, I didn't come up with this idea on my own. This, a lot of people were saying this is a bad idea. You should not be using this sole metric because obviously you should not be using the one metric. So now they're rolling it back. So I support that. But there's a little bit of gaslighting going on here in that they're trying to convince me that all of a sudden everything has changed. Oh, it's because of Omicron, you see. And Omicron was able to break through those cloth masks. And that's really why we're changing everything. now. You set a target. You didn't hit the target. You're rolling back the mandate anyway. And you want to tell me it's because the science changed. But I know what the science has been because I've been covering this now for two years. So I'm aware of what the science was and is, and it didn't change overnight. The political science changed. And I'm glad you got to the point where you got to. Took a little too long, but I'm glad we're all here on the same page now. Um, I said yesterday this is part of a larger shift going on, and it just so happens to coincidentally align with the most advantageous approach for Democrats in the midterm elections. Now, maybe that's just coincidence. I'm not trying to ascribe motive here because I don't know. But I do know what I'm seeing. And when everybody starts all falling in line together, maybe that's just sort of a pack mentality thing. Maybe this is a preference cascade, as it's called. Peer pressure, you might call it, right? There are a lot of different ways this manifests, but maybe that's what's going on. But I'm also not an idiot, and I wasn't born yesterday. And I look at this stuff and I say, these are not coincidences. You got Democrat governors that, like, within the span of about 48 hours, they all started dropping their mandates. They all started making these announcements. You had the Super Bowl hit. You got now the state making its uh, shift. You've got the local counties making their shifts. You've got Biden's approval numbers underwater. You've got people that are done with this. Meanwhile, you got Omicron that's cratering, and it wasn't as lethal. You pile it all together, and it seems pretty clear why everybody is moving at the same time they're moving on this. Um, Cooper characterized the General Assembly's activities, meanwhile. I'm going to get to their uh, proposal in a second. But he characterized their uh, activities as frantic. He said, quote, I know they are looking at something today and they are very frantic about it. So he's trying to like, they're trying to dismiss it. Dismiss this as like, oh, you know, they're just oh, they're just running around trying to do some crazy stuff at the last minute. Oh, you mean like you kind of did for like, oh, I don't know, two freaking years? Anyway, from what I know about it, I have concerns that it is unwise and irresponsible. Oh, okay. So you don't know anything about what they're talking about doing their Free the Smiles Act, they just want to make it a local control issue, which is what you just said you were for. You want it to be a local control issue, but you don't want it to be a local control issue. I think I got that correct. Okay. Uh, He says, I mean, we're going to let people pick and choose which public health rules they're going to follow. Yeah. That's local control, Governor. That's what that is. It's actually exactly what that is. Just think of it this way. The individual is the most local of local controls. Just think of it like that. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110, and uh, 1-800-WBT-1110. <laughs> All right, let me go over here to uh, Mr. Paul. Hello, Paul. Welcome to the show. What's going on, Paul? Oh, not much. How are you doing? Hey, you know, same old, same old. Well, I heard you talking before about... Um... Uh, Billy Joel and, and uh, Entenmann's and all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
my wife and I grew up in, in Belmore on Long Island. And we ended up in Sable, uh, uh, raising our kid there. But now we're down in Monroe, North Carolina. Monroe. And um, Monroe. Did you see Billy Joel at the uh, Hempstead Calderon? Uh, I'm sorry, where? The Hempstead Calderon. No. I saw him at Jones Beach. I saw him at Yankee Stadium. And I saw him at Nassau Coliseum 25, 30 years ago or something. Right, right, right. Well... Uh, I guess just before he started playing the Coliseum, uh, there was a small um, renovated uh, theater in Hempstead where it would seat maybe 150 people, and he did four shows there that I saw all four there. And uh, it was a much better concert than being in a big Coliseum. Ah, I had a good time. I had a good time in Nassau Coliseum. I I, I enjoyed the the Entenmann's, too. I used to go to the factory all the time. There you go. Uh, Paul, I appreciate it, man. It's, it's one of the things that people, uh, it's like, uh, what's his bucket? Uh, uh, Springsteen and uh, New Jersey, which, oh, by the way, would you like to hear my Jersey joke? I have one. And no, it's not simply saying New Jersey. I could just leave that there and be that, let that be the joke, but I won't because I am a giver. So, uh, no, here's my Jersey joke. Why do New Yorkers have such bad attitudes? Why, Pete? Because the light at the end of the tunnel is New Jersey. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> to be fair, the joke works the other direction as well. <laughs> uh, but Bruce Springsteen, like everybody from Jersey, and yeah, they're like all about Bruce Springsteen. It's like, okay, whatever. And then I have... It's just part of being from, I guess it's New York, maybe in general, but Long Island specifically. And look, I got out, like I was 17 years old. I left New York. I came down. I went to Winthrop University in Rock Hill, and I never went back. Oh, I shouldn't say never. I mean, I go back to visit. I do. I go back to visit my parents. They're still up there. But that's it. And uh, I don't I don't want to live there. I have not wanted to live there ever again. So nice to visit. Don't want to live there. It's so um, I don't know if it's my if it's something genetic about being from New York that makes me hate Massachusetts. I'm not sure. I think so. It's in the it's in the blood. Maybe I don't know. But there's this uh, there's this constant thing like oh we're from Boston we're just as good as New York. I'm like you're not. I don't know why. Like I, we're not even really aware you exist. Except every now and again we have to play you in some sports. You know like that's it. Um, and I say we, I'm not even a we, I was never even, I grew up a Dallas Cowboys fan. See, look, I was trying to get away from New York, even in my youth. I grew up a Cowboys fan. I have no idea why. I grew up a Dodgers fan. I grew up a Dodgers fan long after they had gone to LA. So there you go. I mean, that's kind of the deal. I was like, I was growing up in, uh, growing up in New York and I was a Dodgers fan, maybe because they fled New York as well. And maybe that's where I got the idea. Like, I need to get out of here, too. Maybe that's what happened. I don't know. So, yeah, I went to Winthrop. And, oh, which was pretty cool listening to the guy from the Citadel, the commandant from the Citadel yesterday on Brett Winterbull's show. I enjoyed that. My brother went to the Citadel. And uh, so he was down there. And when I came down and went to school at Winthrop, and I was going down to Charleston, where I may or may not have had a a reasonable facsimile of a government document that allowed me entrance into certain establishments when I wasn't technically permitted to enter. 
So yes, we had a good time in Charleston. It was a lot of fun. Um, but I enjoyed the interview uh, yesterday. Uh, so let me see here. Where was oh the uh, the Free the Smiles Act? So this was the uh, the bill that was passed in the legislature. Free the Smiles Act. It passed the House with a veto-proof majority, 76 to 42. Now, that doesn't mean anything necessarily because the Democrats in the House could very well turn around and switch their votes in order to protect the power of their governor because that's really the only power they have left. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Up until about Stormfront, I want to say. I knew I knew every lyric to every Billy Joel song ever. But I just kind of drifted away. Yeah, that's what happens. All right. Uh, no, I do I do like the Billy Joel, but it's okay. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Play it about. This you leave play. This you leave playing. This you just play and play and play. Let the lyrics keep going. But the intro themes, like, that's the bailout immediately. There's no rhyme or reason to any of it. At some point, you're going to cost the radio station money, right? Like, yeah, at some point, you're going to... All right, News Talk 1110-993, WBT. Um, The governor was asked if there is local control. This was at the news conference yesterday at 3 o'clock. Asked, why did he feel the need to say something if there's local control. Like, why are you saying, I think we should get rid of the masks in the schools? Why would you say something like that if you're not going to order it? If you are all about the local control, then why do we need to hear you say these things? And he responded that during the pandemic, officials in schools have uh, looked to guidance like the stronger school's NC toolkit, but that, quote, we're at a point in the pandemic where the health officials say that lifting those mask mandates might be the right thing for them to do and that they should consider that. So, in other words, they are taking your directions? That's not an answer. Of course, he gets away with this because, Democrat, the lack of a clear statement that masks should be optional in schools by both Cooper and the DHHS interim secretary, Cody Kinsley is similar to the governor's inaction on reopening K-12 schools for in-person instruction in 2020 and early 2021. He played the same mealy mouth, jelly spined, nebulous leadership type of game. The legislature ran a bill to reopen schools and It revealed a clear partisan divide. Democrats mainly voted against the bill. And then once it passed, with a couple of Democrat votes, it went to Cooper, who vetoed it. And in the veto message, Cooper said at that time that the bill threatens public health. That's what he said about reopening schools. Then the House and the Senate, right, they tried to override it. The override uh, was unsuccessful because why? Democrats in the Senate switched their votes and voted to protect Cooper's power. That's what that was about. They flat out said it. Okay, that's not me just making up some motive. They flat out said they were in it to protect his power. And when the governor is of their party, they wanted to protect his power. Why? Because they can't stop stuff from happening in the legislature. And if you cut 
Cooper's knees out from under him in these fights, then you're not you're only hurting yourself. That was their argument. So they flipped their votes, knowing that they're probably going to win re-election in safe seats, and they voted to uphold his veto. And that empowers Cooper to continue vetoing and governing the way he is. That's And so now he's doing it again with the Free the Smiles Act. You got to understand something. I've said this now for, uh, well, longer than two years before the pandemic. Because it, it, it was very clear in, well, in very various settings. So like um, HB2 was one of them. But this pandemic stuff is another one. The Save Our Schools Act uh, with the uh, preventing transgender uh, students from competing against biological females, that sort of stuff. If you If you are in a group that the Democratic Party needs in order to win, Right, they will cater to you until it is no longer advantageous. Right, everybody understands this. Right, until like if they like look at the uh, the women's vote. Right, as soon as the transgender issues came around and it meant undermining things that women had fought for, then sorry, whoop, right under the bus they go. That sorry, like you, we got to do that because this this is another group now that needs uh, that we need their help and we need their support and we're going to use them to get votes. And with Cooper, you will subordinate your, um, your uh, well, your needs to his political advantages. It's just his political prospects have to be puffed up. Uh, and if that means throwing you under the bus, so be it. I'm sorry. He has done it so many times. Like, if you're not paying attention, I mean, that's on you. That's on you. I'm sorry, but that's on you. And so he did, with AHB, too, you had Democratic lawmakers that were willing to work to repeal HB2, the bathroom bill at the time, and to, quote, fix it. And Cooper told them, don't you dare do it. And so what did that mean? It meant he kept lobbying businesses not to come here, which did what? Caused economic harm to constituents, to citizens of the state that he was representing as attorney general. He harmed people in order to gain personal political advantage. He told Democratic lawmakers, if you agree to any kind of a fix with those Republicans, you will have no role in a Cooper administration if I win. That was the pressure he brought to bear. He needed the issue. And so everyone else, sorry, if, you know, we got to harm you to get him into office, so be it. And that's what happened also with the school reopening bill. He needed the teachers' union support. He needed to win re-election during a pandemic. Maybe he was a little nervous about it. Needed the teachers on board. Needed the Democrats. Because, look, the teachers, they give all their money. The teachers' union gives all its money to the Democrats. Right? So he vetoed that bill. Democrats fell in line, supported the veto. Same thing probably going to happen here. I don't know. Looks like that. But you could have all these House members turn around and vote to uphold his veto even after they voted for the bill. So they can say, I support the bill, and then Cooper vetoes it, and then they turn around and say, okay, but I'm going to go with my governor on this, which was the excuse they used when uh, they changed their votes to reopen the schools. Maybe, and look, I'm not being a cynic on this. This, this is what happened. Um, speaking of the mask mandates, and I do have audio, we'll play of Vilma Leak in a minute. Uh, there's a, a listener of the program, friend of the show. His name is Eric Soderstrom. He has a sub stack that he writes at. And uh, 
he actually went and took a uh, listen to the audio of Ella Scarborough, the county commissioner who is now uh, taking a medical leave of absence, and the county commissioners uh, decided to provide her with the taxpayer-funded benefits uh, in order to act as the charitable uh, organization on all of our behalf. So I guess you're welcome for that, Um, but whatever. Uh, Ella Scarborough's deciding vote for the Mecklenburg County mask mandate, everybody basically understands that that was not her that cast that vote. Everybody knows this. I like. It, it is amazing to me how much that big D shield protects people at all levels of government. That Democrat shield, it protects people and it protects Ella Scarborough and her family here. Because that's really what's going on here. There is a protection racket going on right now for Scarborough's family. By Scarborough's family. And it's it, it's gross. To me, it's gross. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. A reminder, tickets are on sale for the WBT 100th anniversary celebration. It's on Saturday, April 9th at uh, 7.30 at Halton Theater at CPCC. And uh, I'll be there. Love to see you there as well. Go to WBT.com for the tickets and uh, all of the event details. Uh, So, Eric Soderstrom writing at Substack. Says on September 8th, 2021, a voice on Ellis Scarborough's computer called out, yes, casting the deciding vote in a five to four decision to adopt a revised countywide board of health rule requiring face covering when indoors in all businesses, establishments and public places, including schools, um, public, private and parochial within Mecklenburg County. Everybody seems to acknowledge that it was not Ellis Scarborough voting during that meeting. George Dunlap, the chairman, told Channel 9 at the time, WSOC-TV, that the voice vote did not sound the same as other votes previously cast by Commissioner Scarborough. Charlotte Observer noted that it was a very different voice, quote-unquote, than what they had previously heard from her. County Attorney Tyrone Wade was asked to look into whether someone other than Commissioner Ellis Scarborough voted on her behalf, but that investigation was promptly dropped. So what Eric did was he went and pulled a soundbite from Ellis Scarborough's yes vote on the Eastland Mall redevelopment agreement. And he took screenshots of the audio file, the waveform. And anybody who works in audio, as I do, I can tell you waveforms look different. You've seen them, right? The looks like a wave, you know, up and down, up and down, and... It's got different elements to it, and some of these things get really elaborate, but you can see that voices sound different. You can see that voices sound different. Even if you don't play the clip for me, I can look at the waveform, and I'll tell you that's a different voice because there'll be, um, you know, especially if it's the same word, you can tell it's a different voice. You can tell if it's the same person saying the same word. So, like, when, for example, producer Ryan, he does the podcasts of this show every day, which, by the way, you go to WBT.com, get the podcast delivered free right to your smartphone or tablet. So Ryan goes through and he chops it up. He's, he can see the music, right? You can see the words, and you'll know when I say, like, hey, let's go to Boomer Von Cannon or something. I give a little bit of a pause, and Ryan knows to 
chop it right there, right? These things look the same. Words look the same. The same word looks the same when I say them, correct? Half the time, I don't even need to listen to the clip. There you go. You don't even need to listen to the clip because you can just, when you work with audio enough, you can just see it. And it's right there. The words look the same. Anyway, I think I made my point. Eric puts the two yay votes right next to each other, the two waveforms, and you can see they are not the same waveforms. They're not even close. They're really not even close. The second voice has a different cadence and a much higher pitch. He goes on to say that he does not blame Ella Scarborough, but her declining health does not give her children the authority to usurp the will of Mecklenburg County voters and act on her behalf. The county attorney, Tyrone Wade, should probably step aside for his role. All right, I added the probably. Eric says he should step aside for his role in enabling this charade. Like this, this really is a scandal, folks. I, I'm not sure folks like fully grasp this, like the magnitude of this scandal that you have a county commissioner who has been incapacitated, who has been unable to perform the duties of her office, and somebody else has been acting on her behalf. And everybody seems to be okay with that. And now there's like, all right, all right, clean up on aisle Ella. I'm sorry, it's that is not, it's not sufficient. It's not acceptable. Um, Eric says residents have a right to know if the mask mandate that we've been living under for six months was approved by their county commissioners or kept in place on the basis of a fraudulent vote. Yeah, maybe we'll get an answer after it ends. Maybe that's what it's going to take. The, the county commissioners now voted to lift the mask mandate, and so now we'll find out, oh, yeah, you know what, sorry about all that. Um, yeah, it turns out she never was the one voting for that, so you know, we probably shouldn't have been living under the under the rule at that point. It really is a scandal, um, I, and I'm afraid that people are going to bury it because they feel bad for her and her her family, but make no mistake, votes were cast in her name that she did not cast and votes, uh, yay votes were used because her family logged her in for whatever reason. I don't care. I I mean, I really, I don't care the reason I I can understand some of the reason, like you're trying to preserve benefits for your ailing mom. I, I get it, but those votes still occurred and some of them were five, four votes. And some of them should not have passed as they did. Uh, All right, I got about a minute. Hello, Jerry. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, I'm good, Pete. Thank you. Good to have you back. I hope everything went well with the move. It did. Uh, Thank you. I would have tweeted you about this, but I got booted from Twitter, so I can do. Uh, And I'm trying not to call too often, but the question I've been asking about this is, how how does this not meet the, the legal definition of fraud? And what galls me, because you know I'm an equal opportunity hater of the Democrats and Republicans, why is there no Republican with the courage enough to stand up and do something about this, to prosecute, to try to prosecute or litigate this in some way? Because it's, it's, a, it's a fraud committed on the citizens of Mecklenburg County. Mm-hmm. So first off, there are no county commissioners that are Republicans. So they, oh, uh, no, no, no. I mean, I mean some other Republican. I know, I know, I know the commission is all Democrats. Right. 
Yeah, so uh, so you're talking about like the the Mecklenburg County Republican Party. So you have to have standing. That's why I'm asking, like, who has the standing and who's got the the pockets to pay? Yeah. Well, that's 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 one of the questions. I really wouldn't care who it is. I don't care what their color, denomination. I don't care who they are. I just want someone with the courage to say, we feel badly for Ms. Scarborough. We would have been open to having a conversation with her family about preserving her benefits. But this is a fraud being committed on the citizens of Mecklenburg, on the on the taxpayers. Yeah, well, so I, now to the to in their defense, there were some Democratic county commissioners who did make that argument. Um, I, but I don't know, like other than making the argument, I'm not sure what else you would, it would require some government official in some official capacity, right, to be filing charges or launching an investigation or something. And if you know, if the Democrats control it all, I don't see them moving on that. I would like to see it. But I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think anybody wants to go after, you know, an ailing woman's family that's trying to take care of her. So I appreciate the call, Jerry. Good to hear from you. News is next.